0: Director's Notes, episode 338, Grima Hocknesson, Rams. Welcome to Director's Notes, the podcast dedicated to the what, how and why of independent filmmaking. Here's your host, Marvell. At the beginning of this year, I would have never imagined that one of my cinematic highlights would be an Icelandic feature about estranged sheep farmers. But Gríma Hockenarsson's tragic comedy, Rams, is a film that's full of deep humour and also even deeper humanity. And I'm really pleased to be joined by Gríma on the show today. Welcome to Director's Notes. Thank you. We have got a traditional question that I like to start off our interviews with to find out a little bit more about you. And that is, what is it that brought you to filmmaking and directing? I started
1: to act when I was a kid. I took some acting lessons when I was eight years old. Then I uh, bought a video camera when I was 14. Then I started to uh, experiment on the video camera with my friends. I was doing short films in high school. So I would say that I... I never took uh, like a conscious decision to become a filmmaker. I was already a filmmaker pretty young, you know, when I was in high school, I had this kind of reputation in my school to be a filmmaker. And then I've been basically, you know, I can't get away.
0: I've noticed um, looking through your filmmaking credits that you tend to move between documentary and um, fiction films. Was either one of those areas more of a draw than the other initially, and then you discovered the other one? Or in your mind, were you always going to work in both fields?
1: Yeah, I've, I've always been a fiction director. Usually I, I watch much more fiction films than documentaries. I like to do documentaries, but my interest is, is in the fiction. You know, that's my prime uh, interest. Mm-hmm. Basically, I started to do documentaries because it was possible to do them without any budget. And I could, you know, tell stories through documentaries. You know, I went to film school to study to become a fiction director. I went to uh, film school in Prague, and uh, that has always been my... My uh, interest, because when I'm making fictions, I have more control of everything. I can design the story, I can design the characters, I can design everything, you know. But uh, like Rams, you know, it it is uh, quite uh, realistic and it it has a documentary feel to it. And I think making all these documentaries before uh, helps a lot uh, when I'm directing fiction films.
0: Rams, of course, did fantastically well at the Cannes Film Festival winning the Uncertain Regard Award but you had already been at Cannes with your um, graduation film, Slavic the Shit I've read some interviews with you when you've spoken about how the success of Rams, you can see the impact on your career immediately with the projects you're being offered and the, the meetings that are coming forward to you but I'm wondering, did you um experience a similar thing with your short film or is it not comparable at all.
1: Yeah, when I went to Cannes with my short film, um, it was like going through the holy fire. You know, it was uh, my first experience in a big festival, and I was very young and quite stressed out. And it was everything was very new for me, and so that was a, a good experience. But uh, the short film uh, industry is uh, sort of uh, very different from the, the feature film industry, and it's a much smaller. But going, doing the short films and traveling to many festivals with my short films, it was a good experience because the success in Cannes with Rams was quite unexpected. I was totally unknown director before that. Mm-hmm. So I think it it helped me a lot that I had this kind of experience with my short films. I had won many prizes with my short films. So I was used to make speeches and go on stage and you know talk about my film, you know. But, uh, you know, the the last Cannes Film Festival was uh, like a a dream uh, for me, you know. And when I think about it, it's almost like unreal, you know, how the film was received and winning this prize, of course. And, yeah, it's a bit uh, in my memory. It's like a dream.
0: We've gone right to the the awards side of things, but to step all the way back, for any members of our audience listening who haven't yet had a chance to um, see Rams, could you um, give a brief description of the film?
1: Yeah, the the film is about uh, two uh, old brothers, they are uh, sheep farmers, and they are living uh, on the same land uh, next to each other, and they haven't spoken to each other for 40 years. But uh, what happens is that uh, the sheep get uh, infected by a disease called scrapie, and they have to uh, slaughter the sheep. But the brothers, they use this opportunity to settle the conflict apart, to settle the conflict down, and start to communicate again. It's a quite simple story. It's all set in the same wallet. It doesn't have much dialogue. It has a strong sort of visual storytelling And uh, it is about this uh, relationship between Icelandic farmers and the sheep and this kind of strong ties between them and the historical importance of this animals.
0: Rams isn't the first film that you've shot within that kind of rural community environment. What is it that draws you filmically to want to set stories in such an environment?
1: I think it's because I'm uh, partly raised in the countryside. Uh, My parents, they sent me to stay on my grandfather's farm when I was a child in the summer. uh, When I was a teenager, I was working uh, as an agricultural uh, worker. So I think because I have this experience and background, And I've heard many stories. I know many characters from the countryside. I see it as a sort of a privilege. Not many filmmakers have this experience. So I I think it suits me quite well to tell stories from the countryside. But also, I'm a little bit like a country person myself, you know. And I I want to tell stories and I want to show people living in the cities how it is to be a farmer, you know. How is the farming life and how is... uh, this uh, connection between the animals and, and people and all that, you know.
0: Do you feel that cinema often misrepresents those kinds of stories in those kinds of communities?
1: Yeah, I think so. There has been made some films, Icelandic films, uh, about farmers, and I thought they were not so good, and I thought uh, they were not so honest, uh, and they had a little bit of uh, prejudices in them, I think. Uh, you know, I think uh, people uh, who are living in the cities, they have this image. If you don't experience living in the countryside, or if you don't experience, you know, traveling or, or staying with uh, people in other countries, then you tend to get prejudices, you know. I think urban people, they sometimes, they are quite prejudiced towards people in the countryside.
0: The scripts, I believe, took you around um, three years to arrive at the final story. You've mentioned before that there were different versions as you went through that journey. Did they vary wildly to, you know, what we see on screen now?
1: When I was writing the screenplay of Rams, you know, I, I was going through the holy fire also. <laughs> the story was uh, was really different in the beginning. There was a, a female character there, and in the Rams, there hardly not any woman. Um, the first idea was to make a film about this uh, scrappy tragedy about uh, the cull, you know, when the farmers have to slaughter the sheep and how it is to lose the sheep. I was working on that for a year, and and then I heard the story about the brothers who haven't spoken for 40 years. It's a true story. So I tried to put that story into the Scrapey movie, and uh, and then it took me a long time to sort of balance these two stories. Because if you look at Rams, uh, there are kind of two stories going on. It's uh, the story about the disease and the community in Wally, and then the story about the brothers and the conflict. Slowly and slowly, uh, the sort of broader story became the prime story.
0: Uh, The story about this disease became uh, a minor one. As someone who lives in the UK and outside of um, the Icelandic film community and your media, I was um, personally unaware of your two lead actors. And at times watching the film, as we mentioned earlier, it feels very documentary the way that they just completely for me at least blend into those roles but they're really famous actors in Iceland I gather so how did you go about removing them from their persona that will be around them from their years of acting to totally inhabit these warring brothers?
1: Like the script you know I I spent a lot of time with the actors we met like one year before the shooting and we started to get to know each other and I did a lot of practical rehearsals with them. I I took them to the countryside and I showed them around and they met farmers and they met farmers who had to kill the sheep and to sort of get this emotional knowledge about that. So I did a lot of uh, these kind of uh, practical rehearsals and they learned how to to handle the sheep, how to talk to them, how to uh, treat them. And then also the actors, they they look very different uh, without the beard, you know. And when they grew this uh, big beard, that helped a lot to sort of take them away from the comfortable life in the city and to the the harsh life of the, of the farmer.
0: You also um, did extensive sheep auditions, which isn't something that I would have imagined you'd have needed to do, you know, as an outsider from farming. To me, it kind of seems like, well, a sheep's a a sheep. So I'm I'm curious, what were the um, qualities that you were looking for when you were hunting down your sheep actors?
1: Yeah, first I was was mainly focused on, but they have to be a good stock, a good breed. And they had to look pretty and they had to be like a big and strong sheep because they're supposed to be a prestigious uh, breed in the film. But then I uh, I also realized that some of the sheep we met, they were really shy. They just ran away from us. And then I thought, OK, uh, we need some sheep who, who don't run away from us. <laughs> And then we uh, we were looking for sheep, and we were asking around, and uh, we went to uh, many farms. And then we, we found these sheep who are they used to stay at home. They are so-called home sheep. And they are really uh, calm, you know, and they are used to be around people. But they were also beautiful. Well, they were pretty enough. So, uh, you know, I, I had to think about uh, the spiritual quality of the sheep and then the material quality of the sheep. And we hired them, and they signed the contract immediately. <laughs> and uh, and they were uh, not complaining uh, about anything. They just did a thing, you know. And um, usually the sheep scenes, they took uh, much less time than the scenes with the actors. Uh, the sheep, uh, they were usually
0: no problem with the sheep. What are the practicalities of shooting the sheep and also as well shooting in that location where at times it was like minus 15 below and of course in my head I've got stuck that final scene and I'm imagining that as brutal as it appears for the characters on screen that that must have been brutal to shoot as well.
1: Yes, uh, the summer part of the film uh, because the story starts in the summer and ends in the winter and the summer part was much more comfortable. It was easier, you know, but the winter parts it's always more difficult and the most difficult thing is actually that in Iceland in the winter time we have so little light so uh, we were shooting uh, a lot of scenes and we had four hours to do them in light you know so we really had to encourage the crew to really work really fast and then the rest of the day was kind of much more easier you know so we had to sometimes like work really fast and I was really worried that I would not get the right quality. And also, uh, when you're working with animals, uh, like sheep, they are kind of unpredictable because you can't talk to them. So um, it's quite stressful when you have a a very tight shooting schedule and you have to rely on on someone who, you know, you don't know what's going on in in its mind, you know. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I, I had some nightmares, of course, that I had some really tight schedule the next day and then I... had maybe 200 sheep and i had to (laughs) expect them to do the right thing and it
0: could be tough you know what was your um technical setup i know you shot anamorphic but what cameras did you shoot on and did you light extensively
1: yeah we we had a quite good camera called ari alexa and we we spent some money on uh on lenses Uh, we had some quite expensive lenses and the camera equipment the lighting was simple we didn't have so so many lights it's quite subtle lighting in the film so we uh, we prioritized in the look of the film and we we spent some money on the set you know and we we had a danish dop uh, a very good one and because we didn't have so much money uh, in the film we saved a lot of money by like hiring uh, local people uh, hiring uh, farmers to work with us on the set uh, and uh, to work with the community and try to get the community involved in the, the whole film process but we, uh, yeah, we spent money on, on the look. And uh, the reason I shot Anamorphic is uh, because uh, it's to sort of capture this kind of um, this country atmosphere and this kind of loneliness. Uh, the brothers are living uh, in the middle of nowhere. They are very close to the nature. They are sort of a small... Uh, there's a lot of white frames where you see them sort of small like in like in a big space. And I thought uh, Anamorphic, the frame was the right framing for the story. When you're doing a film, that's one of the choices the director has to make is what kind of frame you want. And but also Anamorphic, uh, the create this kind of special look, you know, and looks a little bit like film. And I thought if I had enough money, I would have shot the film on 35 millimeter so you know so i was basically trying to capture that film
0: look given that so much of the film plays out within um gummy's house and on that farm you avoid it feeling repetitive at all how did you mitigate for you know that main central location that we're going to spend so much time there through your choice of of shots so that the audience never felt at least instinctively i've seen this already and i just saw this before
1: uh that's a good question uh Yeah, because uh, the whole story is is set on this same location, and and there's a lot of scenes in in the Gummer's house, and uh, the Gummer's house is not so big, so uh, it was quite difficult to uh, shoot there. The basement, Gummis basement, is shot in a studio. That was the only part of the house we was shot in a studio. And it was very challenging uh, to tell the story and try to uh, always find the new angles. But somehow, slowly and slowly, we managed to always dig something new up, find some new angles, and I was quite conscious about this. I was moving some scenes around to a different locations and so the film wouldn't feel boring. And it was a big danger because uh, the film is quite uh, slow and uh, it's quite uh, simple and always the same characters, the same two brothers all the time. So, and that was one of the, my concerns that the film wouldn't uh, become boring, that it is always something new happening Even though the film is quite sort of low-key, you know, there are no helicopter shots in the film, you know. But try to tell this kind of very low-key story in a very (laughs) sort of limited space and always try to invent something new and create something new for the eye of the audience.
0: How much of a continuity headache was um, the break that you were forced to have um, in filming once you got through to the edit?
1: We had some uh, continuity problems. Uh, we wanted to film the winter part in November. And usually in November in uh, North Iceland, there is usually a lot of snow. And we started to film in snow, but then the snow melted. We were attacked by the, the greenhouse effects, you know. <laughs> We lost the snow, and so we had to uh, take this decision, uh, if we wanted to keep on filming without snow and try to paint the snow in the post-production or try to fix it somehow. But uh, I decided that I didn't want to go on filming, and we decided to stop. And uh, in January 2015, we came back and we finished the film. Yeah, we, we had some uh, continuity issues and we had to, uh, you know, paint some snow in some of the frames. And uh, yeah, we lost some money because of this. But it's OK today. We, we got the payback. back.
0: For me, one of the joys of watching Rams is... The the flow as you move between comedy and drama and back and forth again, it's beautifully balanced. Was that something that was captured on set or something that you built in the in the edit so it didn't tip too much into one or the other?
1: I think that's uh, one of the sort of most uh, sort of hard thing when I was writing the script. You know, I was I was really focused on this. Because uh, in my first feature film, I had this problem that the humor and the drama was not balanced enough, you know, that I had some kind of slapstick scenes and then I had some very dramatic scenes. So I was really uh, focused on this all the time. And uh, there are some very humorous scenes in Rams. But there's also, uh, when I'm directing, because I'm quite a humorous guy, I like things to be funny. And uh, if I see some chances to put some humor into the film, I usually go for that. But in the editing, uh, we also had to balance the humor from the drama. Like uh, the Christmas part of the film was quite funny. It's a quite funny part. And... It was much longer in the script and me and the editor we decided to make it shorter because it felt like the genre of the film was changing you know so we made it shorter uh, so we wouldn't lose the audience into uh, comedy you know in the editing we yeah we moved some scenes around and, but as a director i i always like to have humor in my films even though i'm telling uh, serious stories
0: have um any audiences had any issues or challenged you over the open-ended nature of the final scene in
1: Rams. You know, the ending of Rams is, uh, it is quite a risky ending. And uh, some people who read the script, they didn't like the ending. They thought the ending was not so good. But I, I don't know, I, I wanted to go for that ending. And uh, for me, it's a, it has a very clear message. But it is an open ending and it annoys some people, they complain about the ending. But uh, I think the ending kind of lifts the film a bit higher. It lifts the film from the reality and it makes it more sort of mythical and more symbolic. So I think the ending is uh, really important for the film, I think.
0: Well, for me, and I'm probably way off here, it almost felt like this return to a shared womb, which kind of almost takes them back to a time before their conflict.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's about uh, reconciliation, you know. The story is about brothers who haven't spoken for 40 years and the ending is about uh, reconciliation.
0: You've currently got, well, I know, at least a couple of other projects. There was a documentary that predates Rams and then there's um, a fiction film that you're working on. Can you tell us about um, both or either of those projects?
1: Yes, I'm uh, currently uh, editing a documentary called Little Moscow. It's about a a communist fishing village in the the east part of Iceland, which had uh, some ties with the Soviet Union and was uh, quite a socialistic uh, village in the Cold War. And uh, I'm now actually... I'm writing a a new Icelandic script. It's called The County. uh, And it's about uh, a middle-aged housewife who comes out of the closet in a a small and conservative community. That film is uh, similar to Rams in uh, some ways, but uh, it's a much more uh, modern story. It's uh, quite different. uh, And it's also very uh, political. And that's, (laughs) that's something I maybe... Would like to do more in the future, you know, uh, because I am a very political uh, director. And yeah, I think uh, the company is uh, is going to be much more political than Ramps. You know, I'm not going to do the same film again, but it has the same style, but it's uh, much more political. But I'm uh, I'm also uh, developing a, a script in the, in the U.S. It's based on my own idea. It's about this uh, terrorist paranoia in the states a black comedy set in the a, in a American suburbs.
0: Fantastic. Well, we'll look forward to all those projects. Is there anywhere online that I can direct our audience to stay abreast of um, your projects and or to find out more about Rams?
1: There is a website of the production company. It's uh, netopfilms.com.
0: N-E-T-O-P-films.com. Cool. Rams is easily one of my favourite films that I've seen this year. I'll be surprised if it doesn't make my top 10. So I'm really pleased to be able to talk to you about the film. So thank you so much for um, taking the time out to speak to us today. Thank you. Thank you for calling. To get show notes for this episode or post a comment, visit us at directorsnotes.com. Director's Notes is released on a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0 license. All other materials remain the property of our guests. Support the show by telling a friend, blogging about us, or leaving a review in iTunes. Every year, there are hundreds of great films of all types from around the world that don't get the exposure they deserve. It's our job to make obscurity a thing of the past, one film at a time.